coming. Um, let's just announce some dedications. Uh, tonight's class was dedicated um, in honor of Dorothy Melvin's mother, whose yard site is going to be on the 15th of Cheshvan. Uh, her name is Ora Basavadia. May this be a big suchus for her neshama to carry her to the greatest of heights. Channel lots and lots and lots of Incredible, wonderful, good blessings to you and um, to everyone, to your family, and only bracha and only mazel and good health and only good things. Another dedication was by Rabbi Zalman Munitz, and this is in honor of his son Mendel, who had his bar mitzvah, I think it was on yesterday, uh, on the 12th of Cheshvan or today the 13th of Cheshman, but it's one of these two days. So may Hashem bless him. He should uh, grow up to be a chayal, a chassid, Yerushamayim, and a lamdin. And uh, may you and your wife, Rabbi Munitz, raise, her, raise him in good health. And only have a lot of nachas, and only, only nachas from all your other children, and only good. Another dedication tonight was by Terry Levin. This is in honor of her grandfather's yardside, Aaron ben Michoel, who's coming out this Shabbos on the 18th of Cheshvan. May his neshama have a really, really, really wonderful, great aliyah, especially the happiness and joy that you always have to send him a little gift. I'm sure he loves that up there and appreciates it so much. So may he shine his light upon you for all the brachas and only good for you, mazel and bracha, and everything should materialize in the physical blessings spiritual blessings and physical blessings, but it should come down all the way to the ground. Um, thank you so much. Another dedication tonight was by Velvold Sikman, and this is in honor of his grandmother's yard site. Also on the 18th of Cheshvan, Chana Bas David HaKoyen. May her neshama have a fantastic, wonderful uh, aliyah, higher and higher and higher, and channel powerful blessings to you and to your family for all that you want and all that you need. Much, much bracha to you. And to your whole family, thanks for that. The CD dedication, one last dedication, was by my dear friend, Rabbi Shleimer Goldner. And this is in honor of his rabbi, his teacher, a very great man, Rabbi Rifkin, who was a, one of the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva's Tayyar Vedas. He was a chassid, a very great man. His name is Moshe Doiv Ber Ben Harav Ben Tzion, whose yard site is going to be this Shabbos as well, the 18th of Cheshwin. May this be a big alias neshama for his great soul. And me, he shined down lots of great, great blessings to you, especially, you know, a teacher is like a father and a student is like a, is considered a child in a very, very real way. And when a child and a student recognizes that and they treat their teacher as a father by doing a dedication like this, I'm sure this is very meaningful to him. And much bracha to you. Beruch Nisa Begashmi is an only, only good. Thank you so much. Okay, now we're ready to go in tonight's, into tonight's class. Now, this week's class is going to be a continuation to what we spoke about last week. Those of you who didn't hear 
last week's class because you weren't here or you didn't listen to the shir or the CD, I would highly recommend to listen to that. Even though you could follow tonight's class on its own, it really is a, a completion to what we had learned last week because the story that we're talking about, the Torah discusses, is a story that covers, that begins on last week's Torah portion and continues into this Torah portion. So therefore, we're going to continue our discussion that we had last week. The name of the class, if you're interested, to listen to the first class, is called Parshas Lech Lecha. It's on our website, mayon.com. By the way, I just also want to announce, the easiest way to get these classes is even better than going down. See, if you can take, pick up the CD, is good, if you, have, if you have access to one of those. But you can always listen to them online at mayon.com, M-A-A-Y-O-N, M-A-A-Y-O-N.com. And also, the easiest way, you don't have to go online, is if you subscribe to the podcast. If you have a podcast app, any kind of podcast, just put it in your Google Store, Play Store, whatever it is that you're using, iTunes, put in podcast, download a podcast app, and then punch in Mayan Yisrael, or you can put in my name, Ruven Wolf, and you'll have options to pick the Thursday night class, the Monday night class, um, Parsha in My Life. As soon as you subscribe to that, it doesn't cost any money, You'll get the class immediately when we update it. You can check your podcast and it'll be uploaded. And the good part about it is that you can, those podcast players, you can have it playing and then you can get a phone call. It will stop automatically right where you are. It'll start again where you're holding. It's really good technology, podcasts. So Mayan is on podcast already for a long time. I just know that someone mentioned to me that people don't know about it. So you can check out our Mayan podcast. Another thing is we're going to be launching, as I said, I'm hoping any day, a Mayan Yisrael app. So if you'll have our Mayan app, then also you'll have the updates of all the classes most accessible to your phones. That's just a, uh, a little commercial. Now we go back to the class. So last week we had discussed the story of Lot, the mysterious figure called Lot, who, and we, oh, by the way, so the name of the class, that was, that's what I was talking about. I was giving you the name of the class. The name of the class is Lech Lecha, Tag Along Soul. Okay? Tonight's class is also going to be called Tag Along Soul, but it's part two. So make sure to listen to part, the one that doesn't that probably doesn't say part one, because I didn't know that I'm going to give a part two then. So on the website, the class you, you if you want to listen to last week's class, it's Tag Along Soul. This week's class is Tag Along Soul, part two. Tag Along, because Lot is tagging along with Avram Avinu, with our, our father, um, and it's very strange because who is this figure Lot that the Torah spends so much time discussing this guy when he doesn't seem to be such a great man? And Avram has to rescue him twice. He goes to live in a terrible neighborhood and uh, a place that is so corrupt that it has to be destroyed, that, that, that God punishes it two times. The first time is, it, is that it, it, there is a war and all the people of, of Sodom are taken into captivity. That's a story in last week's parsha, And then this week again we have that the city of Lot was so sinful that God really, he rarely does it. Since the flood, God doesn't do such direct, immediate action in this world of total destruction and devastation. I'm sure there are points in history that things happened where think that there were great, enormous catastrophes that happened that for whatever reason, only God knows why they happened. Uh, that it needed to be some kind of a, a uh, some kind of a, a a judgment from Hashem, 
But in Sodom and Amorah, those, those uh, five cities, like they're the extreme example of God's wrath. So they were so bad. And Lot goes and he lives over there. So Lot is not a tzaddik at all. Yet, we find that he's so, Avram is so caring for him. Okay, that says a lot about our father Abraham, how his endless kindness. But there must be something much deeper that's going on over here. And that is, as we spoke last week, at the very, very beginning of our history, we are already concerned with the coming of Moshiach. And Lot is the father of Moshiach. As, we can, as the story unfolds in this week's Torah portion, where Lot escapes, narrowly escapes with his life, he and his daughters go running up in a cave. And when they're in that cave, when they're in that cave, they think that the whole world was destroyed. And Lot's daughters think that, okay, so there won't be any more. So we have to repopulate the world. And there was no man alive in order to be able to have children from. So they, with good intentions, the sages tell us very, it's interesting, there's absolutely no, no accusation in the Torah against the two daughters of Lot that there was any kind of immorality over here. It says, actually, Lot had a problem. He, because he went to live in the cities of Sodom and Amorah for immoral purposes, because he enjoyed immorality, and that was, even though he wasn't a direct sinner, but he just enjoyed what was going on in the neighborhood. So God made it, in the end, that he will end up doing a very big sin, and that is unknown. He was drunk. He didn't even, he was intoxicated. Didn't know what happened. But he ended up having relations with his daughters. So for him, it was pretty much a sin. The fact that he was intoxicated, I guess, minimizes it. But on their part, there was no sin at all. They were doing this with pure motives to bring, to continue the world population. However, they both become pregnant from their father. There is a child. Both of them have a child. One of them is the father, ends up, is called Moab, and he's the father of a future nation. Moab, a big nation, not a good nation, evil people. But there is one gem of a gem, and that is the soul of Rus, the Moabite woman, who later becomes, she converts, marries Boaz, who is a descendant, direct descendant of Yehuda, and he is the great-great-grandfather. This is the paternal, um, the paternal um, lineage of King David. All from this Moabite woman who converted. And the other one has a daughter, Ruz, uh, uh, Nama, who is from the, a princess from the Amon, Amoni, Amon um, 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 na- nation, she marries King Solomon and also adds her contribution to the birth of Mashiach. So what you see from here is that from Lot is where the seed, he has the genes of Mashiach with him. So last week we followed the whole story on saying how everything described in Pasha's Lech Lecha about Avram Avinu, it's all dedicated and devoted for the extraction of a soul. The soul of holiness. Now we're going to discuss this a little bit longer today. Why souls, powerful, luminous souls, and the biggest of souls are first buried in the muck, the first buried in the klipa, the buried in darkness. But there is a work of extraction. And the extraction spans all of history. It doesn't happen one, two, three. There's moments of history in which we do a major extraction in helping these powerful souls free themselves from the forces of darkness that are holding them in captivity. One of those moments is in sequence. So, First we learned last week, just briefly, Avram, the mere fact that Avram gets Lot to come along with him on the journey to the land of Canaan 
That's already extraction number one. And we discussed that last week, how that happened, what inspired Lot to go. Then we discussed that extraction number two of King David's soul was, after Lot went down to Mitzrayim together with Avram, and as they returned back to the land of Canaan, there was an awakening of the soul of Mashiach and of King David inside. Lot started becoming a little bit, he felt Mashiach vibrations inside of him. And we said the reason for that was because in the microcosm, in the small little world, Mashiach happened. When Avram is going out of Mitzrayim, Yetzias Mitzrayim is happening. Redemption, and we know Yetzias Mitzrayim is the key to all redemptions. So, and, and the key to the exodus from Egypt is when Avram goes out of Mitzrayim. Comes out that in that moment, that's the nucleus of all of redemption. And therefore, David HaMelech's Neshama, who is the Redeemer, who is buried inside of Lot, senses the redemption, and at this moment is yearning to come out. That's why we mentioned last week, Lot suddenly starts feeling the two tents. The Medrash says that the two tents that were, that when it says that Lot came out of Egypt, he says he had sheep and donkeys and he had ohalim, he had tents. So the Medrash says, what are these tents? This is Rus HaMoabite and Nama HaMoinus. Why are we suddenly speaking them about right now? Because at this moment is when Lot himself realizes that he has these neshamas. And we said that for Lot himself, the realization that he has these powerful souls did not help him. Actually, this caused him to fall. Because he started becoming arrogant, because he started feeling this sense of royalty within him. And that's why he started challenging Avram. Until that moment, he was a loyal chassid. He was very devoted. He was a disciple of Avram. He didn't have any senses of his own importance. It was at this moment when he started feeling that I'm a somebody and I'm important. And that's why he gets into a fight with Avram at that time. Last week we also mentioned, just very something very important, that it says that the land was not able to, to um, support them both. So we asked the question, why doesn't it say the pasture of the land was not able to support them both? Why does it say the land was not able to support them? So we mentioned something very, very powerful. And that is that the land is referring to the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is called the land. The, 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 the land. It's called Aretz because she's the lowest level of the divine. There's ten, ten sefirot that are higher than Shekhinah. Shekhinah is the most imminent level of God that's within the world. It's called Aretz. It's called earth. When a neshama that is in the darkness has to be retrieved and come back, where is that soul coming back? Tachas kanfei under the wings of the Shekhinah. All converts, their souls are drawn through Avram Avinu's neshama and Sarah, Avram and Sarah, they're the father and the mother of all converts, they draw like a magnetic pull, these souls, into the Shekhinah. That's why the Pasuk says, so now, when Avram is coming out of Mitzrayim, and Lot's neshama, I'm sorry, and Mashiach's neshama begins to vibrate, and to get excited, and we might say it's starting to bubble, inside Lot there's a bubbling of this soul, so we would have thought that this would have been an amazing moment for the, for the full extraction to happen. We're ready. So that's why it would have been right, especially as we mentioned, the Pasuk describes that they were very wealthy. Their wealth was great. And we describe, what does it mean their wealth was great? Avram was wealthy with sparks of holiness that he took out of Egypt. And Lot was wealthy with the, with the neshama of Mashiach that was with him at this moment. They had great wealth, especially as we mentioned last week, that Rav, the word Rav, their wealth was a lot. Rav is the gematria of 202. That's the amount of sparks that the Jews extracted in Egypt. Altogether, Kabbalistically, there are 288 sparks, and the Jews managed to pull out 202 sparks. 
So they have now an immense deposit, a wealth, both of them together. And this would have been this unbelievable moment when the neshama of Avram and the neshama of Lot should converge together. And now it should be absorbed. And by the way, I didn't mention this last week, the words Rechusham Rav, their wealth was great, is the same gematria as Chesed and Malchus. Chesed means kindness, Malchus means kingdom. Avram is the champion of kindness, he's the, he's, the, he's the vehicle of God's kindness. King David is the vehicle of kingship. There was a moment where Chesed and Malchus could come together at this moment. And we would have had Mashiach. But the verse is saying, The earth, the Shekhinah, was not yet ready to take this soul in. That this soul should be absorbed and taken in. The word means the soul could not be lifted. It wasn't lift, it wasn't, it wasn't elevatable yet. It still need, needed some more purification. And it was still going to take a few generations until we can scoop that soul up and absorb it into holiness. This is what we discussed last week. So I want to add to this something, something, something very interesting. We know in davening, we always say, Rofei Cholim Hashem heals the sick, and Somech Noflim, He helps those who, who have fallen. Hashem helps those who fall. He supports those who fall. Rofei Cholim, heals the sick. So what does it mean he supports those who have fallen? So of course it means, of course, in a simple meaning, anybody that takes a fall, people have a fall, financial fall, any other kind of fall, spiritual fall, a fall in a relationship. I mean, we have all different things that can cause a person to fall. And God supports those who fall. But there's a deeper meaning. The sparks of holiness, which have fallen during the shattering of the vessels, during the sin of the Itzadas, which caused this great, this great primordial collapse of spiritual energies. So God helps these sparks come down from their fall, be elevated from their fall. So that, it says in Kabbalah, that when you say Salmach Noflin, there's a certain shame, a certain name to have Kavana. We know that our Kabbalistic permutations and names that a person can have. Now we regular people, simple people, are not supposed to have these Kavanot. These are made for great Kabbalists. And after Mashiach comes, we're going to get a crash course on all these things, and we're going to be able to have all these Kavanas. But for ordinary people, we're supposed to just learn a lot, of, do a lot of mitzvahs, learn a lot of Torah, and, and give tzedakah and do good things, pray just with simplicity, uh, not mystical permutations. But it does say in Kabbalah that the name of God that one should have in mind when he, when he does Somech Noflim is the name spelled Yud Lamed Yud, Yali. Yud Lamed Yud is the name of Hashem. That, why? Because that's the name of God that lifts sparks of holiness. You know, now you're going to say, what kind of name of God is Yud Lamed Yud? Where does it come from? I've never heard of that name. Kale, Elohim, Havaya. So I'm just going to give a little, little idea. Just to show, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, a beautiful thing to know. One of God's names is called the name of 72. Okay? The name Shem Ayin Beis. It's one of the highest names of God. Okay? That name is the name which is used when a spark is stuck and it needs assistance for someone to come unstuck it. It's the name Yud Lamed Yud. Now we would think that when Avram Avinu is trying to extract Lot's neshama, Mashiach's neshama from a fallen state, he would apply the name Yud Lamed Yud. And that's exactly what he wants to do. That's why the Pasuk says, V'lo yachlu l'sheves yachtav. They were not able to sit together. The words, v'loi, okay? Yachlu l'sheves yachtav. Able to sit together. 
the Rasha Tevis, the acronym of those words is Yud Lamed Yud. Which means, but its Pasuk says, Veloi, the Yali didn't work over here. Veloi, Yud Lamed Yud, it's not extracting. The extraction didn't happen. It's also interesting, the Gemara says that, I don't know where this Gemara is, but the Gemara says when so, someone fell down, so the Gemara says, Yahev lo Yadei, Yahev lo Yadei, he gave him his hand, and he lifted him up. Okay, again, in Aramaic, Yahiv lay yade, he gave him his hand, and he lifted him up. When someone falls, what do you do? You give him a hand. You throw him a lifeline, right? Or you give him your hand to pull him up. Right? The words in Aramaic, Yahiv lay yade, he gave him his hand, also acronym Yali. Because that's the name of lifting somebody up. But over here it didn't work for whatever reason. It wasn't time yet. But you see the name is hinted to over there. So says, I mentioned from the B'nai Yisrael. In any case, last week we also had mentioned, just another very powerful idea, what got in the way to stop Mashiach's coming? Because what I'm going to do today, just wanna, is I want to fill in the, 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 the parts I left out last week before we can introduce the new things about from in, in, this, in this whole thing. So now, last week we had also discussed, but I was in a very big rush at the end of the class, and I was just... So I mentioned that... Um, what got in the way of that Mashiach, powerful Mashiach moment, was that a quarrel got in. Riv. Now we spoke last week that Riv is a certain klipa. It's a dangerous, dark, um, sneaky darkness that tries to get in the way and block Mashiach from coming. And again, I do want to say something, just observation. <laughs> this class this week and last week is very different in style than my usual classes. I'm using a lot of remez which remez means homolytical things, gematria and things which I usually don't do, it's only because Mashiach is full of remez. Mashiach is not open. Yeah. So if you want to find Mashiach, you're going to have to work your way with homolytical codes and hidden things. It's all over the place, but it's hidden because until Mashiach comes, everything is hidden. So, that, so now just back to what we're saying. The riv gets into the way. Riv, as we said, is gematria 212. And it tries to split Mashiach in half, not let Mashiach come. Mashiach ben David, the Mashiach, the son of David, the gematria of his name is 424. That's Mashiach ben David, the exact gematria of those words, 424. 424 is double the words riv. Riv is 212. 424 is double. Mashiach tries to get in and block. So that's the, that's the name the name is of Hashem, is the name 424, called Kadat, Taf Chav Dalid, which is the name of Mashiach. And Chas Shalim, if there is a block, there is a riv. Interesting, what does Avram Avinu, this is what I, what I didn't say last week. What does Avram Avinu say to Lot? He says, Al Meriva, there should not be a quarrel between me and you. Avram is very bothered by this quarrel. He doesn't like the quarrel. So he says, let there not be a Meriva, Simply, it means a quarrel between me and you. But let's look at that word, meriva. Meriva has the word riv, but before the word riv, it has a mem, and after the words riv, it has a hey. What does that mean? Don't let the riv get in, in between the mem and the hey. Why the mem and the hey? What did we say last week? That Adam, Adam is really the soul of Mashiach, but it goes through three, three incarnations. Adam, David, Mashiach. That's why his name is Adam. Aleph, Talid, Mem. Adam, David, Mashiach. His full power is going to be when Mashiach comes. 
Adam is the gematria of 45. And we mentioned it last week. 45 is another one of the Yudke Vavke. The tetragrammaton of God, the name of Yudke Vavke, when you fill it not with Yuds, but you fill them with olives, because it can be filled with olive, it comes out 45. Adam is gematria 45. Lot is also gematria 45. Lot has Adam's neshama because he has Mashiach's inside. Lot is exactly 45. That's why Avram says to him, hey, buddy, don't you realize over here? Why are you letting the quarrel get in and the riv is getting in between the mem and the hay, between the 45? You're splitting Adam and you're not allowing the full realization of Adam. You have Mashiach's light in you. Why is the riv, why is this klippa getting in into the mem hay and stopping this from happening? So that's really, really cool idea. Really unbelievable what's happening. Now, to continue on with all of this, last week we discussed briefly that there was a war and the four kings came to fight and we brought that it seems implying from the war that they, they immediately went and they went for Lot. They zeroed in on Lot and they took, him in, they took him captive. And the reason for that is because as we mentioned last week, the four kings, besides being the four empires, the four kings then also represent the four general empires that are going to be the, the Jews are going to be in exile in, which these are four spiritual forces that try to stop Mashiach from coming, and it has four stages to stop God's kingdom from manifesting in the world. That's why who are they after? It manifested in them going after Lot. When Avram gives his life, literally lays his life on the line to save his his brother, which is referring to King David and. That's very interesting why, I'm not going to get into it, but the war describes how Avram stops right on the side of Damascus. Just to, to make note, that Avram stops at a place called Dun, right on the side of Damascus. Mashiach's coming is very much related to Damascus. Just to, you know, what's happening in the world. Interesting, it says that the word Damasek, which is the word Damascus in Hebrew, is the same word as Migdash. Same letters as Migdash. It's the antithesis to the Beis HaMikdash. So as Beis HaMikdash is built, there is a fall in Damascus. It's, it's, it's like the seesaw. It's like two forces that are antithetical to it. So that's maybe it could be the way the Russians suddenly got all excited to go save Damascus. And <laughs> I'm just trying to play, make, make sense of what's happening in the world. Suddenly, we're, why the two suddenly become best friends? Why uh, There's something happening over here. But in any case, back to the story. It says, Vayave HaPolit that the pullet, pullet, that Og, is who comes to tell Avram that his brother is in trouble, that Lot is in pr- trouble. So we have this big giant, his name is Og, and he comes running to tell Avram that his brother, that Lot is in trouble. And Avram goes for the chase. The word hapullet means the survivor. The balaturim, however, who is again someone who is very involved in homolytical explanations on the Torah, the Balaturim says that the pullet is doesn't mean, in addition to Og, means someone else. It means the archangel Michael. Michael is called Hapolet. And Michael comes to tell Avram. Why Michael? And why is Michael, who is one of the one of the great, one of the arch the highest Malachim, why is he the one to come to tell Avram Avinu that his brother is in trouble? And the answer is, since this war, as we said before, has three meanings to it. The war that happened in the days of Avram. It refers to four kings, which represent the four empires of history. And it actually also says in the Medrash that the four kings, and I didn't mention this today, 
is also also means and stands for the last fight that happens in the world before Mashiach comes, which is a fight of Gog and Magog. Over there, many nations come together. Whatever that means, it's hinted to in this war of the four kings. Avram Avinu going to fight for Mashiach is that Mashiach will triumph over all, all enemies of the Jewish people. Okay? So it says in Daniel, okay, so why does Michael come? First of all, why is Michael called a survivor? So this is something I just saw, which I never knew before. In Pirkei the Rebeliezer, which was the writings of Rebeliezer from the Tanoim, says an amazing, interesting thing. When the angels accused, when the angels um, came and they said that God should, when the angels um, were, 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 were uh, slandering the human being in front of Hashem and say that the human being doesn't deserve to live, why did you create the human? Why did you create human? God says, and who do you guys think you're better than them? And they said, yeah, take us us, we're all righteous. God says, yeah, because you don't have the tests. You don't have a Yetzirah, you don't have an inclination. I'm going to send you down in the world and let me see how you guys are going to do. He sent them down and they became the most corrupted of all. And they corrupted everybody else. They became the worst of the worst. So even angels can't handle this world. Souls can handle it because souls are superior to angels. Angels can't handle it. It says when God threw them down into this world they grabbed onto Michael and they wanted to pull Michael with them. Now Michael is the exact opposite. Michael is the advocate who always speaks the merit of people. They said if we're not, the, those, if they said if the accuser is not there, so the lawyer, the prosecutor is not there, let the, let the lawyer also fall. So they tried to pull Michael down. And God somehow, Michael, God gave Michael a hand. I don't remember the exact wording because I checked it up a little while ago. And Michal was saved from falling. That's why Michal is called the survivor. Because he survived that, that fall. So when the Pasuk says, Vayavai HaPolit, that the Polit came. Vayavai HaPolit, that the Polit came. The, the, the Bartanura says that the Polit, who is the Polit, the survivor is called Michal. Why is Michal coming? Because in Daniel... When it describes the end of days, the prophecies of the end of days, it says, on that day, Yamoid Michael, Michael will stand up. Which means that the one that will be involved in the final rescue of the world and the bringing of Mashiach, whatever it is, will be Michael. So if Michael is there at the end of days, Michael had to be present by this war. Another very interesting, fascinating idea is that someone else is going to be involved in the coming of Mashiach. And that is Elio Anavi. Elio Anavi is the one who's supposed to come and announce the redemption. So if Elio Anavi, if this is such a Mashiach moment, Elio Anavi had to be present, Elijah the prophet had to be by this war as well. Where do we see Elio then? Now first of all, Elio wasn't even born yet. This is the days of Avram Avinu. Elio is only later, later, later. And even if we say that Pinchas is Eliyahu, which we discussed earlier this year in a different class, but Pinchas too is not alive yet. So we have to say that the soul of Elio was present even then. How do we know that? It says by Yaakov Avinu, it says that the Malachim came back to him. It says that Yaakov, when Yaakov sent angels to Esav, so the Pasuk says, Vayashuvu uh, ha-Malachim el Yaakov Lamar. Banu. And the angels came back to Yaakov saying, we came to your brother Esav. The acronym of these words is Eliyahu. Why? Because Yaakov and Esav is also a Mashiach moment. We know that in the end of days, Yaakov is going to rectify Esau. So who do we send? Who is part of this contingent of angels? 
also Eliyahu Hanavi. Okay? So therefore, that's over there. So you see Eliyahu's neshama was already used by the, the patriarchs already connected to Eliyahu Hanavi. Okay? Now therefore, something very beautiful. Again, this is very homolytical and remez, but it's very nice. The words Vayavai Hapalit, that the survivor came, has the letters Eliyahu in it. Vayavai Hapalit, the survivor came, look inside the Chumash, you will see there is an Aleph, a Lamed, a Yud, and a He, and a Vav there. Because Eliyahu is inside those words, the survivor came. It's Eliyahu. Now those letters that are not part of it, hear this, okay, that's, that's cute. But what's really amazing, the letters that are not Eliyahu, there is a Pei there, there's some other letters, I don't know right now, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not looking at it right now. The other letters that are not part of the word Eliyahu, is the equals 101, if you do the gematria, which is the exact le- gematria of Michael. Michael is 101. So who is the pilot that's coming over here to get Avram Avinu to go into war to save Mashiach's neshama? Eliyahu and Michael. The two, the two beings, spiritual beings that are there for the Giyula. That's just an interesting idea. Now I want to move over, now I want to move over into this week's, this week's parasha. Okay, good. So we have this great Moshiach extraction happening. As the Torah continues their narration into this week's parsha, we have a whole story where first Avram is visited by angels, but the angels after they finish visiting Avram are not done, and they have another mission. They're sent to go turn, at least two of the angels, to go turn over the city of Sodom. That was the angel Gabriel. Gabriel is the angel of Gevura, to destroy Sodom and Amora. And... Um, and um, what's it called again? Um, uh, 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 Malach Rifael, who is, who is another angel, who came to heal Avram, because the angels first came to heal Avram. Rifael is the angel of healing, came to visit Avram Avinu. He went also to rescue Lot. Okay? Which the rescue of Lot is very important. Because Chas Shalom, if Lot would have died, and his daughters would have died, then that would have been the end of Mashiach's neshama in the world. So there needed to be a rescue happening that Lot had to be, had to be saved. And as we're going to see in today's class, the whole thing is so Mashiach, that whole story about what's going on over there. Now, why, and, and where does the Torah tell us this whole story? This is right before the story of Yitzchak's birth. Because right after we finish the story of Stom and Amor, the next story is going to be that Avram moves away, Avimelech, Take Sarah away from Avram, because she's a beautiful woman. And then God forces Avimelech to leave go of her. She goes back, and then right after that, what happens? Vashem Pakada Sarah, God remembers Sarah, she has a child. And Yitzchak is born. So for some reason, we need to have the rescue of Lot, his daughters. And they both have a child, Amman and Moab are born. And the reason for that is so the Kedusha Slevi, the Holy Rebbe Yitzchak of Bardichev says, Why was this such an important Why does the Torah say this right before Yitzchak is born? Because when does the exile really begin? When did Gullus begin? Gullus begins with the birth of Yitzchak. Because God tells Avram, your children are going to be in exile for 400 years. Jewish people weren't in exile for 400 years. Jewish people were only in exile 210 years in Egypt. How do you get to the 400? So the explanation is that God says, your children will be a, a stranger in a land that does not belong to them. And that was as soon as he, Avram had children, Yitzchak, they were in a land that didn't belong to them because the land of Israel wasn't theirs yet. Good. So you see that the exile begins with the birth of Yitzchak. And it's actually connected to his energy. Because Avram is chesed, and Yitzchak is judgment. Where does Gullus come from? Gullus comes from judgment. 
So when Yitzchak comes to the world, judgment begins and exile begins. Ultimately, we convert the judgment into blessing. So Yitzchak means laughter. That's the ultimate laughter. The great laughter that is going to be, you know, after Mashiach comes, there's going to be great laughter in the world, right? That's, that's ultimate. But temporarily, Yitzchak represents Gullahs. Before we can chas v'shalem go into Gullahs, we need Mashiach to be already in the world before Gullahs can begin. Because the rule is that whenever God gives a, the, the Gemara says, whenever Hashem gives a patch, whenever Hashem gives a, a wound, He first creates the medicine, the healing, before the, the, the wound comes. So therefore, before even the first bit of Gullahs can begin, the Torah has to narrate the story of Mashiach's birth in this world. We find the same thing when Yosef, the next stage of exile, what was the next stage of exile? Yosef goes down to Mitzrayim, when the, Jew, when the brothers sell Yosef. And the Torah interrupts the middle of the story. When Yosef is sent to Mitzrayim, suddenly the narration of Yosef stops, and we start telling us the whole story about Yehuda and Tamar. Why is suddenly in the middle of the Yehuda of Tamar? And the answer is we can't even start talking about Yosef being in Egypt until Mashiach is born. So that's the other lineage. Yehuda has, has, marries his daughter-in-law. She tricks him, the whole story. And again, through there Mashiach comes. So you see, every time we're ready to move into the next phase of exile, what happens before that is another phase in the birth of Mashiach. Golos cannot exist without Mashiach because the whole purpose of exile is only Mashiach. And the Mashiach's neshama being in the world, in each layer, every time we come a step closer, another layer of Mashiach's neshama is revealed. More of his light starts shining and that's what empowers us, the Jewish people, to withstand the exile and not get broken in the exile is only because Mashiach's neshama is keeping us afloat. So then we'll see that as long, whenever there's another fall in exile, there's another, another phase in the unraveling of Mashiach's neshama in the world. So now let's begin the story. What happens over here? After the two angels, they visited Avram, they brought him healing, um, they leave. One goes back to heaven, two of them continue on to Sodom. At this moment, God says to Avram, at this moment, Avram, am I going to cover from Avram? Am I going to cover? I'm going to do something so dramatic in this world. I'm going to flip over the cities. Am I going to cover from Avram now? Am I going to keep this a secret from him and just do it without his permission? I need, and Avram is my best friend. It's almost like God is talking to himself. God says, Avram is my best friend. I love him so much. How can I not, how can I not bring him in on this secret, what I'm planning to do? Therefore, I have to tell Avram. And, Avram, and God goes ahead and tells Avram Avinu about what he's about to do. And Avram puts up a massive, vigorous fight. As Rashi says, Avram approaches for three things. To appease God, to pray, and even to go to war. Avram is ready to go to battle with God. It's one thing to battle the four kings. But to battle with Hashem, to save Sodom. So we're going to see soon. What really was Avram's interest was saving David HaMelech and saving Mashiach's Neshama from God forbid, from destruction. But interesting, Avram, Avram, God uses the term Hamachasa Avram. Am I going to cover up from Avram? Which means that right now something was uncovered. God says, am I going to keep it covered? I'm going to uncover it. What does that mean? You realize Avram Avinu had just engaged in uncovering something. What was covered? Avram just had his bris mila. The mila is called the secret of God. Sod Hashem, the secret of God, the of to those who fear him, the sages say is referring to mila. 
Because the bris milah is literally an imprinting of God on the human body. But there is a foreskin, there is arla that is blocking, that is concealing, that is on top. When, you, when Avram did the bris milah, what he's really doing is uncovering the divine in the human flesh, revealing God in this world. So we know that inside for the physical mila, when you do a bris milah, you're part of this process. That's what the Jew is all about. Why does every Jewish baby need to have a bris milah? Because that's our identity. Our identity is to peel away the klipa, to peel away what covers, and to uncover what's underneath. And what's underneath is God. So when Avram revealed the secret of God in this world, so that was a moment when Hashem revealed a secret to Avram. Now which secret did he reveal to him? The secret of Sodom. You see, the word Sodom is also the word Sod, secret. There is a great secret buried in Sodom. Sod. It's actually the word Sod Mem. Now in the Sefer that I saw, this is from the Imre Emes, from the Gerer Rebbe. No, previous, previous, previous Gerer Rebbe. Over there, he doesn't say that it's soyed. Mammy just said, Sodom is soyed, secret. I'm going to add something. I hope it's, I'm not. Sod mem could mean the sod of Moshiach, which is the mem, which we discussed already in Parshas Noach's class. What's the secret? First of all, Moshiach's neshama is in Sodom. As it says in, King, in, 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 in Psalms, in Tehillim, it says, Matsasi David Avdi, I found my servant David. The Medrash says, what is it, Where did I find David? Where did I find him? Hashem says, I found him in Sodom. He was like this jewel, this diamond that got lost in the garbage. It's like, a, like, a, like, like it'll happen sometimes to, I guess, to women who remove their diamond ring and then they clean up and throw away the garbage and then everybody in the family sits on the floor and you go through a piece by piece of garbage to find the ring that might have gone into the garbage. So God is now also pecking through Sodom because he found somebody in the garbage. Now, Sodom is the sewer of the world. Is the sewer of the world. And in the sewer of the world is that precious gem. And Hashem says, Matsasi, I found them. So there's a great secret there in Sodom. The secret has to do with the secret of why the most powerful souls have to be buried in Klippa. That's a very great secret. But there's another secret. What's the secret? The secret is like this. It's impossible for King David to be born from Sodom for a simple reason. What was going to happen? Lot was going to have relations with his daughters. They're going to have children. Those two children are going to be Ammon and Moab. Then their granddaughter is going to marry the Jewish people, marry into the Jewish But here's a very big problem. The Torah forbids anybody from Ammon and Moab to intermarry with the Jewish people. The only converts that we do not allow them to marry Jew- Jewish, we spoke about it last week, are a descendant from Ammon and Moab. They're not, because God said they mistreated you. When you came out of Egypt, they, instead of coming out with bread and water to greet you, and they should have, instead of coming out to greet you, they're your cousins. Instead of coming out with bread and water to greet you, they stuck a knife in your back. They came out with arms to fight against you. God says, I'm never going to forgive them. So any descendant of Ammon and Moab may not marry into the Jewish people. Comes out that Rus is not allowed to marry Moab, which means that David Amelech is born from an illegitimate marriage. There's a problem. But there's a great secret over here. A secret that wasn't known. What was the halacha that wasn't known? There was one very important halacha. That that law only applies to the male lineage, to the male gene, not to the female gene. Females of Ammon and Moab are allowed to get married. But the sages didn't know that. That's why in the days of Avram, there was a big, in the days of King David, there was a big halachic dispute. 
kosher and non-kosher. Can he be a king? Can he not be a king? There were those who fought tooth and nail to stop King David from being a king because they pointed that he's not even legitimate as a Jew. So the sages figured out that it says Ammon velo Ammonis, Moab velo Moabit, meaning a, Moab, a man from Moab, not a woman from Moab. Okay? But that's a secret. That law is a secret. You see, it says that just like, just like the Jewish people are in exile and souls are in exile, the Torah is also in exile. The Torah is also covered with confusion. That's why you don't have clarity in Torah. That's why it's such a mitzvah to study Torah, to clarify things. Because when you clarify things, you're actually extracting the Torah from the klipa. So one of the things that were buried, just like King David's neshama was buried, the legal ruling that's going to allow him to come in, hear this, the legal ruling that's going to allow David's neshama to be born is also buried in klipa. It needs to be revealed. When was it revealed? When did God, so to speak, reveal that in His Torah? When did Hashem see that? When was that revealed? You know when? It says that every day God also has new insights in Torah. On that day, of when, when God came to visit Avram, that's when that was revealed. So Avram, why? Because when Avram did his bris milah, and he uncovered the secret, that removed so much klipa and so much cover that it uncovered secrets. It uncovered King David's neshama. And it uncovered the halacha that, that she could be married. How do you know that? So he says something brilliant. What was the basis of the sages to say that a man and not a woman? Maybe the women also. Maybe we, maybe we reject the entire land, city of Ammon and Moab. Why only the men, not the women? And so the Gemara says, you know what the reasoning of the sages were? The reason of the sages were a simple thing. They reasoned as follows. And they said, the Torah gives a reason why we can't allow anybody from Ammon and Moab to join the Jewish people. What's the reason? Because they didn't come out to greet you with, with bread and water. They should have come out to greet you when you came out of Egypt. They should have come out, all of them, and brought you food. Instead, they came out to war. Sages so say, well, who is the style to go out towards? Who, who are the ones who go out? That would be the men. The women, because of modesty, would stay more in their, in their homes. They wouldn't go out to, the, to the, those that are coming. And therefore, you see that they're not at fault. The women are not at fault. It's the men that should have gone out. Where do we derive that from? That the woman has a modesty that she would stay more in. We see that by when Avram met the Malachim. They asked Avram Avinu, Rashi says, the, the Pasuk says, they asked him, where's Sarah, your wife? And Avram says, she's in the tent. Why wasn't she sitting along with them? So Rashi says, because of modesty. She was extremely modest, so she, there, was, there were men over there, and she was in the tent. So they went and they said, so from there we learn out that it's not a woman's thing to come out. With, I mean, I have to say that in today, the world has changed, and things are acceptable today that weren't acceptable then. And it's not halacha, that a woman can't serve her guest. It's not halacha. But yet, the extreme modesty of of Sarah was that she was in the tent. So when Avram said, that's the, that is the source from where we know that the woman is not supposed to come out. Which is the source from where the Moabite women are, are permitted to come and marry. That was the secret that was revealed. And that's what Hashem says, Am I covering this up? There is an Hashem now that needs to be revealed. The secret is out. Basically God says the secret is out. So now but, Avram Avinu is going to have to put up a fight to get this Neshama free. The reason for that is 
because on the surface, Lot did not deserve to be freed, liberated. Lot had no merit to be liberated. Because based on his own merit, he actually sinned along with the people of Sodom. They were big sinners. He, and especially since he didn't have to move into that neighborhood. The whole land was open in front of him. He was able to go anywhere to live in the land of... He chose on purposely to go to live amongst wicked people. It was his fault. And therefore, um, there was no reason really for him to be saved. He's going to be saved in the merit of two. Two merits that he has. One of them, as we're going to see soon, it's the merit of Avram, because he's his nephew. And because of Avram, Avram's, Avram's prayer, we're going to see in a moment. But in addition to that, it's because of his lineage. Because of the powerful neshama of David that he's carrying. And that gives him reason to be saved. That's what Avram is now going to stand up for. In this, that's why we find that Avram is going to go into such a fight, so to speak, with God. To argue his way to liberate his neshama. So it's interesting. Let me first get, make a little introduction to this general idea. Why is, before, because we're talking about the extraction of a soul. Why is the neshama of Moshiach buried in the klipa? Why is that? Why does that happen that way? So I'd like to say quickly, very briefly, three ideas. Okay? One idea is from the Reb Shapsi Koyen, the Shach, great um, 16th century, I think, or 17th century halachic authority and great mystic. He's a Pirish on his Torah, and he says that we find the entire coming of Mashiach into this world is always with a scandal. Mashiach's neshama is only scandalous. It's story after story of things that don't look clean. Go through every story. Lot and his daughters, Yehuda and Tamar. Again, he thought she's a prostitute. What's going on over here? It says the angel pushed him. He had no choice. Whatever it is. But something is not clean. And then again, David and Bathsheba. Boaz has a marriage with a Moabite woman who we have to figure out a while later if she's kosher or not. The whole thing. Come on. Why Mashiach? He says very simply. There would be such a fight from the other side to stop and to destroy this soul. So God has no other choice but to sneak the soul into this world in a place where it's unexpected to be. Okay? If you want to sneak something through the border or something this, you will put it into something that is the most unlikely for it to be. There, that's how you will get it through. God has to sneak Moshiach into this world. So therefore, he's packaging it in a very unlikely package for it to be there. And that's why the Kalipa, the forces of unholiness, they don't get it. That's why it says, three things happen. It says, Behesach Three things happen without anybody noticing, with a diversion of attention. And one of them is Moshiach. It comes when no one is expecting. It happens like, it has to like work its way through without anybody noticing. Because if you're going to bring it out in an open way, God forbid, it could, it's, it's very dangerous. Number one. Number two. Very interesting idea. So this is from the Noam Elimelech, from Elimelech of Lezensk. Adds just another tinge, a tidbit of an idea. He says, Moshiach has to come, the first has to be an exile, and then there has to be Geula. Then there has to be redemption. If Moshiach would come in the world through a lineage of direct tzaddikim, like we would have expected it, tzaddik after tzaddik, and the most righteous individual would give birth, and it would come through a, a, a lineage of pure tzaddikim, then the light of Mashiach would be so evident and so powerful and so strong. Redemption would be so palpable in the world, it wouldn't be possible for there to be exile at all. It would blow exile away right at the beginning. 
So therefore, Mashiach's neshama has to be couched under a veil of klipa. So the light is not so bright. So there could be exile, there could be oppression, there could be darkness. Because ultimately from the darkness will come light, but there has to be darkness. If Mashiach's neshama would be shining, would come through tzaddikim, would be so brilliant, everybody would see Mashiach, he would sweep the whole world up in his light, and there wouldn't be any, 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 any gullus, and therefore it can't come that way. So it has to come through a mess. And then there is the Arizal, which is probably the root of all of these explanations. Where the Arizal says, as we mentioned last week, that there was, by the, by the sin of the eight sadas, by the sin of the tree of knowledge, and even before that, by the shattering of the vessels, we spoke about this last week, souls have fallen into the klipa. That means spiritual forces of unholiness hold within them great neshamas, the greatest neshamas. Unkelis the Ger, who is the main commentary on Torah. Rashi builds so much of his commentary on Torah from Unkelis. Unkelis was a Roman, was a Roman um, prince who converted. Rabbi Akiva, the father of the tired Torah Shabbal Peh, is a child from Gerim. Rabbi Meir, one of the greatest sages from Gerim. Shmai and Aftalion, the teacher of Hillel and Shammai. Gerim, converts. It's all coming from the other side. Why? Great Neshamas fell into the darkness. Now he says an interesting thing. The Kalipa does not want to allow these Neshamas to come out from their clutches, ever. They're holding these souls. Why don't, why don't they want to allow the soul to come out? Because very simple, they get life through this neshama. God gives life to the world. God doesn't want to support these ugly monsters. Why is God giving them life? Because they're... It's like we have to feed the monster because the monster is, has the princess there. So he's going to take care of her. That's the only reason. So therefore, we feed the klipa. So therefore, they want to hold this neshama. But they, well, based on the rules of the game, they can't hold the soul forever because all souls have to come into the world. So therefore, what do they do? They will only allow... They, God forces them to put the soul out. But it looks like they have some say in the matter because they complain, they're afraid. If they let go of the neshama, they let go of their source of vitality. They're also afraid if the soul goes out and the soul starts shining and starts illuminating the world with light, light will destroy the darkness. So that's going to destroy them. And especially Mashiach's neshama, which is completely going to vanquish the klipa. It's going to destroy the klipa completely, the unholy completely. So therefore, they're very clever. And they say it like this. They're only going to release the soul where there is very big chances that the soul is not going to make it. See, they have a lot to gain when the neshama being born. Because if this soul is going to be born in a very dark environment, and it's going to have all the cards stacked against it in a vulgar environment, with parents that are vulgar and lowly, in a community that is sinful, and the soul is not going to manage to get up on its own feet, Instead, the soul is going to fall into, into darkness, into all kinds of depra- depra- depraved behaviors and addictions and who knows what. And the higher the neshama, the more yetzahara, the more evil inclination. Sometimes you have the most powerful souls that are stuck in like, it's unbelievable what they have to go through just to fight their way out of the klipa. If the soul does not manage to make its way out safely and the soul becomes a sinner, then through the sins itself, he's going to add so much more vitality to the, to the forces of darkness. He's going to end up being their ultimate, their ultimate supporter. He's going to channel to them intense light. So they're taking a risk every time they let an ashama out. They're taking a risk. On the one hand, it might escape their clutches. 
and it might turn around and defeat them. On the other hand, it might this neshama might become their greatest, their greatest um, asset. So therefore, what do they do? They will only release the soul in a place where they feel that there's very little chances that the soul will fight its way through the darkness, will break free. That's why, especially Moshiach's neshama, will only enter the world whenever there is so much klipa, so much darkness, father and a daughter, in, uh, incest, Yehuda and Tamar, uh, Znus, immorality, David, Batsheva, or even if they're not sin on their own, it wasn't sin, because the sages say whenever it says David sinned, is, 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 doesn't know the story, but at least it appears to be sinful. So the appearance of it is enough darkness to allow them to let the soul go. So that's just an interesting idea. Now we'll understand also the whole idea of why Nisham, David's neshama and Mashiach's neshama is in Lot. Lot, we said, means a curse. Actual translation of the word Lot. So now what's going on is like this. Avram begins to argue with God. And before he makes his argument with Hashem, which he's going to argue that God should save the cities, he, makes, he says like this, he's going to begin to bargain. He's going to say, God, if there are 50 tzaddikim in the city, please let the whole city live because of the 50 tzaddikim. If there's 40 tzaddikim in the city, if you don't find 50, there should be at least 45. Will you save them even for 45? If 45 isn't good, let's do it for 30. If there's 20, if not 30, then 20, then 10. So remember those numbers. 50, 45, 40, 20, 30, 20, and 10. Six numbers that Avram offers and then God says, well, I don't find even that. So God goes ahead and destroys it. But before he even makes that, that request, he says, God, will you destroy the tzaddik with the rasha? These are the first words. He says, Ha'af tispeh, will you destroy tzaddik im rasha, the tzaddik with the rasha? The righteous one with the wicked? Now what's the introduction? What does he mean by that? He's going he's gonna to ask later that if the art tzaddikim, not only the tzaddikim will be saved, the tzaddikim should even save the wicked. So what is he making an introduction? Will you destroy the tzaddik with the rasha? We know that he's not going to do that. He's, Avram is asking the tzaddikim should save the wicked. So it says that really what Avram meant in his first statement was, was what he really wanted more than anything else. More than the saving of the city, his most primary concern was to save Lot. Now Lot was wicked, but inside his wickedness was a big tzaddik. So that's why he's saying, Ha'af Tispa, will you destroy Tzaddik Imrash? And when you kill Lot, you're going to be killing an unborn Tzaddik who is inside him. Inside this, you're going to be destroying, right? You're going to be destroying the baby with the mother, right? The unborn child. The Tzaddik is with the Russia. Are you going to destroy the ultimate Tzaddik, Mashiach Tzedkeno? Are you going to destroy him with the Russia? You cannot do that. The numbers that Avram Avinu goes ahead and he announces, if there are 50 tzaddikim, if there are 40 tzaddikim, 45. So here is two very powerful things. First of all, if you add all the numbers together, the gematria of all the numbers together, 50 and 45 is 95. Then, 10 and 20 is 30, plus 30 is 60, plus another 40 is 100. So together is 195. The gematria of that, of that the numeric value of 195, is the word hakates, the end of days. Which means that when Avram Avinu is praying now, this is the first prayer for Mashiach. Avram is davening for Mashiach. We daven every day at Semach David And especially these days, we have to daven from the depth of our hearts for Mashiach's coming to happen and happen any any happen now. Avram Avinu is re, is davening for Hakates for the very end. 
And here is another very fascinating idea. Why these two numbers? Why the 45 and... So I saw in a safer. Again, homolytical, but really beautiful. And that is 45 and 50. First, those two numbers are 95. What's the significance of 95? 95 is related to the state of the world when Mashiach comes is connected to the number 95. Why? We know that the whole purpose of Torah and mitzvahs and the whole purpose of Mashiach and everything is that you should be a union between heaven and earth, between God and the world. In the Kabbalistic terminology, it's called Yichud, the unification of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shekhinah should be unified. We say it before a mitzvah, L'Shem Yichud, Yichud Kutsh Baruch Hu Now HaKadosh Baruch Hu is associated with the name Yudke Vavke, the, tet- the Tetragrammaton, that's called HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Shekhinah, the name related to the Shekhinah is the name Aleph Talid Nun Yud. Aleph Talid Nun Yud, which means Adonai, we pronounce even, we pronounce the tetragrammaton also Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, but that's not really what it is. We now pronounce Hashem's name as it is. But there's another name, Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, which means master. So that's the Shekhinah, which is the master of the world. What's the numeric value of Aleph Dalet Nun Yud? 65. Aleph Dalet Nun Yud is 65. If, you're, if the Shekhinah is going to be unified with HaKadosh, if the Shekhinah 65 is unified with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is Yudke Vavke, so Yudke Vavke is 26. 26 plus 65 is how much? 91. That's why we're always saying that. Here's a beautiful idea. Every time you say Amen, Amen is 91. Amen means let it happen already. Amen. Let the fusion of Yudke Vavke and 65, 26 and 65 converge together. Let there be the unification of our souls with Hashem. Let everything be in harmony. That's Amen. When Mashiach comes, however, when Mashiach comes, there's going to be an upgrade in the Tetragrammaton. A very interesting upgrade. What's going to be the upgrade? Now God's name is spelled Yudke Vavke. Yud, K, and then a Vav, and then a He. When Mashiach comes, it says that the Vav is going to change into a Yud. The Vav is not going to be a Vav, it's going to be a Yud. That's why we say, Bayoimahu Yiyeh, Hashem Echad. Yiyeh is Yud, K, Yud, K. Okay, follow? When Mashiach comes, why? What does that mean? What is a Vav? A Vav means the light is being diminished. It's coming down. The, the, the Vav is a Yud, but it has a long leg. The long leg means God is filtering His light lower, 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 and only after it's diminished, diminished, diminished can it come into the latter hay. Hay is the Shekhinah, the world, and only when the light is diminished through a long vav can it, can it come. When Mashiach comes, the worlds are going to be ready to receive directly from the Yud, not from a vav. So what's going to happen to the second Yud? It's going to become a vav. So it's going to be Yud K, Yud K. Good. If you take 26, but you change the 6 into a Yud, instead of a Vav, it's a 10. So how much do you have? 30. 30 plus 65 is 95. That was when Mashiach comes, the Yichud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shekhinah is going to be 95. That's why the one who sponsored the Shir tonight, that the... Uh, the, the CD rabbi, uh, Shlomo Goldner, always, uh, always tells me a beautiful thing from the Rav Shetzer Rebbe. When there, is a, there is a certain nusach that people give when they say mazel tov for a young couple when they're getting married, when a chas and a kala are getting married. 
people say the zivug, this 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 zivug ole should be ole yafe. It, it, it should work out nicely. Ole yafe means it. There's a deeper meaning. He says, ole means it should amount to the word yafa. Yafa is yud pei hey, is ninety five. You want that the yichud of this chasen and kala should be in the Mashiach level. It shouldn't be 91. It should equal yafa 95. Ole yafa. The zivik should be ole yafa. It should be messianic. It should be on a whole different level. When Avram Avinu is davening, he first davens for 50 and 45. That's gematria 95, which is the yichud of the, of the way things are going to be after Mashiach comes. Now there's something else that we say is going to be when Mashiach comes. We say in davening Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch. God is king now. God was king, he's king now, and he will be king. So God being presently king is Hashem Malach. Hashem Melech. Malach means he was. Yimloch is the word for when God will be king forever and ever. That's after Mashiach comes. What's left after you take the 45 and the 50, join them together, you have 95. What's left? What else did Avram Davin for? He says if there are 40, if there are 30, if there are 20, and if there is 10. Those are the four letters of Yimloch. Yud, Mem, Lamed, Chav. See, I see the prayers. Nothing is random. When Avram is davening over here, he's davening for, 45, for, for 95, and davening Hashem Yimloch, the remaining letters, Yud, Mem, Lamed, Chav. It's a powerful prayer for Mashiach. Now let's take a look. Okay. The Malachim continue into, into Sodom. We'll have to do this very quickly. And, um, and, and um, it says that Sodom was very, very hostile to guests. They didn't allow any guest ever in their city. When guests came, they, right, they, they even punished and even put to death people that allowed guests to stay. So, um, but, but Lot goes outside and he sees the two angels and he, and, and he asks them to come to his house. They say, we don't want to, we'll, st- we'll sleep on the street. He thinks they're people. He doesn't know they're angels. He thinks they're people. Yet he insists that they come to his house. So they, be- they tell him, no, we'll sleep on the street. And he begs them. He begs them. He nudges them. He makes them crazy. Until they have no choice. And they come to his house. Now, and, he, and, and he tells them to actually sneak their way around. Because it shouldn't look like they came. So the question is, why is Lot, who is not a big tzaddik, being Moser Nefesh, being literally laying his life on the line? And we see later that's what happens. The people in the city found out because his wife went out. And she was a, she was a wicked woman. She, and she went out and said, who has salt, who has salt? We have guests in the house. We need salt. Anybody, I, I don't have... She notified everybody that she has guests. And they came around the house and they were, there was a mom that was willing to lynch them. So why, 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 why did Lot do this? So actually it says, the being that we sent now to rescue Mashiach's Neshama, so the Be'er Ma'im Chaim, also one of the great Hasidic masters, says that at this moment when angels came to town, especially to rescue the Neshama, the Neshama of Mashiach woke up inside Lot. And the neshama of King David is really, it's not low talking, it's, the, it's, it's his inside, is the neshama. He brings an interesting thing, he says that Esau fooled Yitzchak. It says that Yitzchak was, we'll see in a few weeks from now, that Esau fooled Yitzchak. So it says, Kitzayed bepiv, because he, 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 he deceived him with his mouth. So the Arizal says, you know what it means? He says, when Esau spoke to Yitzchak, he didn't speak, he just was quiet. Because he would open his mouth, Yitzchak would know what a horrific person he was. The one who spoke from him every time he came to Yitzchak were the buried souls of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Meir, Uncle Sager. They're all coming from Rome. They're all, they're all descendants of Esau. When Yitzchak hears Esau talking, he's hearing these souls communicating with him. And he sees 
Like he sees Kedusha, he feels holiness. The same thing happened now. It wasn't Lot speaking, it was the soul of Moshiach and David the Melech inside Lot that is getting all excited, inviting the guest in. So that's why it says that Vayiftzar bum ma'od. That he begged them a lot. Ma'od, he says, is Rasha Tevis. Matsasi as David, I found David. Here is where David, the one who's begging, come on in, come on in, come into the house. It says, Vayasuru Anashim. They went around. Vayasuru, they went around Eloth to him. That means they didn't go to Lot. They went to King David. They went to David's Neshama. So they come into the house. And it says, interesting, it says that they went into the house. Because the Lashon over here is, they came, they came to his house. What's, what's the house that they're referring to? He says, the Baron Chaim says, this is not the house of Lot. They're coming to King David's house. They're coming to the third base, to, to the base of Migdash. Because who's the one who's going to build a house for Hashem? That is King David. This is the temple. So they're going to his house, because King David didn't build it, but at least he laid the foundation. They're coming to his house. He says, what do you think? The Malachim would eat in Lot's house? Mela, they went and they ate by Avram. Angels don't eat at all. But we say that when they're in the Minig, you're supposed to not change from the Minig. So when you come in this world, you have to eat. You have to at least behave like everybody else behaves. When you go to Rome, you know, behave like, what does it say? Something like that. When you're in Rome, behave like the Romans. When you're in. So when Avram comes, when the angels come, but to eat by Lot? So he says, no, 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 they're not eating from Lot. They're eating from King David, from David HaMelech, from Mashiach. First they ate from Avram. Avram is one, is, one, is one vehicle of the chariot. They're angels. They're receiving from the chariot. First they went to Avram and ate by Avram. Then they went to Lot and they're eating from the second foot leg of the chariot, which is David HaMelech. Okay? Now what's happening? People find out that, that, that there's guests in the house. Now here's something very important that I want to connect it to what's happening in the world right now. Suddenly the mob comes running. And it says that where do they come? The Pasuk emphasizes very strongly. The people of the city, the people of Sodom, they surrounded the house. Why are they surrounding the house? Okay, they surrounded the house, but the emphasis should have been there. They're going for Lot. They want to kill Lot because he took Gaston. Why the emphasis on the house? What this is really going on in is that, again, the unholy cannot stand the coming of Mashiach. Because that's going to put an end to all darkness in the world. When, we, when they, the Malachim, went into the house, which is referring to the Beis Amidash, which is called the house, the Klippa is sensing the house, and there is a commotion. Everybody comes. Now turn on the news. Turn on the news. What's happening in the world? Keep the status quo. That's the only worry the whole world has right now, to keep the status quo. God forbid Jews should not pray on the Temple Mount. The whole. It describes it in this week's parsha. Anche Sodom, the people of Sodom. Now Sabu al gather on the house. This is the ultimate house. Minarvad Zakin, from young to old. Kolaam, mikatseh. What did we say earlier that the word katseh comes from the word hakates? This is to fight the kates, to fight Moshiach, to fight the building of the house. And Allah, and I'm, literally, this, this mob that came over here was exactly the same, like a lynching mob that happens in, in the West Bank. This is it. The same thing. They're coming to destroy Lot. It's interesting. Later they fight with him, and they say, look at these words, Vayiftzeru ba'ish belot. They begged 
that they want to go into the house and kill the people that are there. It says they begged and pestered in the man in Lot. But Yifteru Belot, what does it mean? Ba'ish Belot. They were fighting against the man that's in Lot. Ba'ish Belot, the man who's in Lot. And guess what? Ba'ish Belot is the exact gematria, Bimashiach. It's the exact num- numeric value of Bimashiach. So this gang, this lynching mob, was ganging up to fight against Mashiach right now. What happens? And it says, Vayishburu, they, they came close, Lishboires Adeles, to break the door. Who's the door? We know that the attribute of kingship, Malchus, which is King David, is called Deles. It's called door. It's a Dalit. First of all, it's the letter Dalit. Because Dalid is called Dal, the poor man. That's Malchus, is called the Dal. David HaMelech says, Aramim Hashem, I will exalt you, God. Kedili Sani, you've made me the door. Kedili Sani, you've Dalid me. Their intention was to break the Dalid. As Adoles, Dalis is the Dalid. Dalid actually in, in, in real writing is Dalis, the Dalid. They want to break the manifestation of God's kingship in the world. Interesting, I'm just going to go quickly through one or two more Ramazim. When, when the men say to Lot, who do you have over here? Who's left? Uh, we're turning over the city. Um, who, who, who else is living over here? So they say to him, who do you have over here? They say, do you have, they say first a son-in-law, sons and daughters. And if you do notify them, because I'm going to rescue them all. It's a strange thing that they ask first for a son-in-law. Wouldn't you think they would ask first for the sons? Wouldn't you think that the first person to ask for is for the sons or the daughters? Saying, who do you have over here? Do you have a son-in-law? Chasan, Banecha, Ubnei Secha. Why Chasan first? And the answer is they're alluding to, the Balaturim says this, they're alluding to Chasan. Who's your Chasan? Your future son-in-law. Future, future, future son-in-law. Rus is going to marry Boaz. We're interested in That's the moment she's going to come into the Jewish people. As she marries Boaz. Chasan is, is, is referring to Boaz. So that's why that's first. That's our primary concern. And they, he adds a word, Milcha Po. Who do you have over here? Po is Pehe. It's the exact gematria of the word Boaz. Boaz is gematria, not, um, um, 85. Who is here? Who do you have Po over here? That's Boaz. Also, there is 85 psukim in Megillas Rus. 85 verses. Milcha po. We're looking for Megillas Rus. It's also here. 85. So, so says the Rokeach and the Balatur. So this is really powerful stuff. Finally, they rescue Lot, and there's more to talk about. The whole idea of, of the rescue, his wife turning into salt, and eventually, um, the whole idea of why the story in the cave, or why um, the Mashiach's Neshama had to be born, Precisely from Lot having relations with his daughters. Um, why in this? I'm just gonna. I have to. Sp- I'm just gonna say one. This is from the Tzemach Tzedek, and then I'm done for today. Just why the father and the daughter? Because that's like, come on, what's going on here? And the answer is, we said before that God's name when Mashiach is gonna come is gonna be Yiye Yudke Yudke. That means that the Hey of God's name is gonna receive directly from the Yud. It's not receiving from a vav, it's receiving from a yud. The yud kabbalistically is chachma, it's called father. 
Hey is Malchus. That means in the supernal unions above, the coming of Mashiach, there is going to be a direct union between Chachma, the highest attribute, and Malchus. That means that the Ein Sof, without it being diluted, is going to be directed right away to Malchus. Malchus is called daughter. In the Sefirot of Atzilis, there is father, mother, son, and daughter. Malchus is the daughter. That means when Mashiach comes, Malchus is going to receive directly from father, which means spiritually the dynamics of a father and daughter having a relationship. Now, in Kabbalah it says, and we once spoke about this, spiritually in the godly realms, this can be something extremely, extremely holy. But because it is such intense godliness, our world can't handle it. And therefore, if you try to imitate that in this world, it's the biggest sin. Incest is the biggest sin. But that's only in its fallen state down here. In its origins, in Atzilus, all these supernal unions are through relatives. And the ultimate union is from Chachma and Malchus, which is called father and daughter. Since Mashiach's Neshama is going to be built from that union, as we said before, so the birth of Mashiach, in which it was needed to be extracted from the Klippa, was also through a union of a father and a daughter. It was accidentally, because we said before it was done with the proper motives, and Lot doesn't even know, and the whole thing happens, it's a shogeg, but it had to come through that, because there's something very mashiach and very powerful about this. The main thing for all of us today is to know that we're living right, 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 right at the end of days, and we should probably shape up and try to do whatever we can to be the best Jews we can, because before we know it, we're going to see a whole different world, and it's much closer than everybody thinks it is. May we merit to, uh, to see Mashiach's Nisham in his full glory. Um, mamish, mamish now. Good night. Ich kann